Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. We are obviously looking for your support. The Tortoise Shack relies entirely on listeners. We have no ads, we have no sponsors. We want you to join us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. The link is at the top of the podcast you're about to listen to. It is the easiest bit of activism you can do. The price of a fancy cup of coffee to you once a month, but to us it is mics on, lights on, and and helps keep conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. And I really think you're going to enjoy this one because this was the live show from a few weeks ago in the Sugar Club with now BBC correspondent Aoife Moore and writer and poet Emmett Kirwin. We had a brilliant night's entertainment and I hope you all get a sense of how much enjoyment there was in the room on the night and we hope to do it all again very, very soon. Obviously, we'll continue to cover events in Israel-Palestine and those podcasts will continue to come out thick and fast as quickly as we can make contact with people on the ground in Gaza. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Please do join us. That few quid you're throwing us helps carve out the space that we need to continue to try and invest in having conversations that you just don't hear enough of in mainstream channels at the moment. Anyway, enough of my waffling. Enjoy the conversation with Emmett Kirwan and Aoife Moore. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and folks, this is the recording of last night's Live at the Sugar Club show where I was absolutely delighted to sit down with award-winning journalist, best-selling author and now BBC's Irish correspondent Aoife Moore. So fantastic news for Aoife, congratulations on that. And actor, playwright, poet Emmett Kirwin. Just to give you a little bit of behind the scenes, Emmett had a bit of a catastrophe in terms of getting to the Sugar Club. He ended up recording this via Zoom, projected onto the screen from an airport in London. So a huge thank you to Pedro in the sound box and the Sugar Club for making that work. We worked it out and it was actually quite surreal to watch um, kind of an Orwellian scene of a 1984 Adidas top wearing Emmett Kirwan big brother uh, looking over the audience in the Sugar Club. But I think it worked. So, you know, you'll be the judge of that when you hear it. We talk a lot about accents. We talk about class. We talk about art being political, the vitriol people receive online and the vitriol people receive simply for standing up for human rights. There's a lot covered, but I think it was a great conversation and everybody seemed to enjoy themselves on the night and we hope to do it again. Thanks to the Sugar Club for putting on another great spread for us. We really appreciate it. And thank you, our listeners and our members, particularly our patron members. We cannot do this without you. Every cent you get gets piled back in to try and put on events like last night. And when we say you keep the mics on, we absolutely mean it. So I really, really appreciate every single cent you give us. And every time you recommend us to a friend, every time you, you, you post something on social media, it all helps us. So we really appreciate it. But without further ado, this is Aoife Emmett and uh, Tony Big Boots. Enjoy. One, two. Ah, okay, you got us now, buddy. There you have you now, yeah. Oh, everybody, Emmett Kerwin. <laughs> Emma, before... The, uh, yeah, <laughs> look at that! Look at that lad! Look at the, there's a, there's the unhappiest face I've ever seen. Look at this. <laughs> God, showbiz baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. An empty an empty airport and just me. And do you know what I noticed as well? I couldn't plug in my laptop because in the UK they're uh, they don't allow you to steal electricity through a tree plant plug. <laughs> I'm not joking. There's there's like steel cases, not steel cases, plastic cases with steel locks. Uh, on all the plugs on the floor. So, well, no, they, they weren't there until they realised you were from Tala. 
Never know, not yeah, ever. yeah, yeah. It's like light, light Never finger, electric, <laughs> electricity teeth. Yeah. No, look, um, before we start, just uh, thanks, everybody. Look, this is unbelievable that we had to work this out, but but thanks, Emmett, for your uh, patience and going with it. And thank you so much to Aoife for coming here. Can we have a round of applause for both our guests, Aoife Moore and Emmett Kirwan? Now I'm going to do a, a proper introduction. We are delighted to be joined this evening by now best selling author. Award-winning, award-winning journalist, broadcaster, podcaster, and I believe there's a TV show on the way, mm-hmm. uh, Aoife Moore. Yeah. Emmett, have you done anything of recent? No, because I can't remember. You know, how's the poetry going? <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, no, listen, the reason, obviously, I wanted to have this conversation and be completely blunt about it. There was, Emmett, if anybody was fortunate to see his last run of the play Accents, and uh, if, you, if you have seen it, it's, it's it, to my money, one of, the, one of the best things he's done. And, and we, have, we have two people who are joined who have very strong accents. Mm. Aoife, you have been very clear all the way along about... The minute you open your mouth, you come with uh, judgment. The people yeah. come at judgment with you to you. Just while we were on the topic of RTE, I was once told by someone within RTE that I would get more work at RTE if I sorted out the accent. Really? Mm-hmm. No, that's not the official line or anything from RTE. No. That's what someone took me aside and told me. And... I immediately thought, well, absolutely fuck that. <laughs> and I start my new job with the BBC on Monday. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't know she was going to go there. <laughs> um, can I, I, w- I will say, on we had, if you remember down the road, the Ivy was stealing tips from people. The Ivy restaurant was stealing tips from people. And Julia Marchenyak was the wait- waitress who organised the workers and worked at the union to make sure that stopped. She was on our podcast talking about what was happening. And RTE didn't want to talk to her because she had a strong Polish accent. Mm. And that is absolutely true. Because what happened was the phone call came back and said, can you get someone who doesn't sound so Polish? That is gospel or truth. Maybe, maybe she wrote a book about Champagne and that's just the way they didn't want well, to well, we, 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 we'll get there. But, but Emmett, you do a thing and you often refer to it as... He digitizes his voice, ladies and gentlemen. Why do you hide? Can you hear me? (laughs) I can hear you, yeah. Why do I want? Why do I digitize my voice? Well, you do the whole uh, sanitize. For certain certain media, you can sound differently. Oh, yeah. Well, no, you're asked it constantly. You know what I mean? Um, Depends on what's happening. Like some things I'll be doing, you know, you start off with your own accent. And over the course of the lifetime of the project, um when you come back for different years or whatever like that, it starts to kind of shift more and more towards South Dublin. It really depends on who the person is you're working with in the room, you know? But, um, so like what happens is, look, one of the main things about accent, and especially when you're voicing something or doing a book or, you know, a video game or something like that, it's all about clarity and it's just about being understood. So a lot of the times it's about slowing the accent down, but then sometimes, especially in Ireland, like the thing about a Dublin working class Dublin accent is it's incredibly polarizing for some people, not for me, like most people, but they're afraid of what 
the negative connotations of that accent will be for their listeners. So they're worried about the, I don't know, the ear, the ears of their listeners because they think some, that they just don't want to hear that accent. You know, Aoife, would you ever consider that you people when they hear when you hear the phrase, it's a cla- code switching. It's a class issue. So it's yeah. not about it's not about clarity and it's not about you know oh we're worried that people won't understand. It's what people will think. That's what they're worried about. Every single time I go on the TV and I do I don't do any RT, but I do a lot of the Tonight Show, and immediately um, people will message me or people will write online, give her subtitles because I can't understand what she's saying. I have met people from. Every part of Dublin, 80, 90 years old, who understand what I'm saying. It's a decision that people are making. As soon yeah. as they hear my accent, they don't want to hear what I have to say. And that's what a lot of the accent is. It's not how you're talking. They don't want people like you talking. I, and again, you say it's a class issue. So, Emmett, you've spoken about this before about and again yeah uh, if Lynn Rand was here she would say you're not really fr- you're from the posh part of Tala but nonetheless <laughs> listen let's just let's just put a pin in that right now all right <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about because she said that a few times like he's in the posh she part. said you got your, your you got your milk delivered you know <laughs> my dad was a, my dad was a milkman that's where I got me milk delivered <laughs> anyway <laughs> I know what that's about um the look, yeah, Aoife's right. Like, you know what I mean? They're the kind of answers that they give you, you know, when they say we want the accent to be this, because there's a real look, there's a, there's an idea that accent and intellect are two things that correlate. Um and when people hear your accent, they're making judgment calls on your value system, they're making judgment calls on your intellect, they're making judgment calls on your intelligence. And that's something that's deeply ingrained in our society because we use it as a signifier to differentiate between people that we wanted to work with or didn't want to work with. So it could become a barrier. So a lot of the time, there's a professor uh, in UCD wrote about this, that a lot of working class kids in Ireland, like over the last 50 years, um, like last 100 years when going into third level education, would almost have to get rid of their working class accent in order to get ahead. And it's encouraged. And I've experienced that, you know, people constantly saying that, their codified language of like, people won't understand it, but really it's about, we want you to talk in a proper way. It happens as well over here. Like I did a play here a few years ago and some people were, we did Dublin Old School in the National and the whole point of the play is that it's, it's a big volume of kind of like Dublin accent coming at you. And some people sat back and went, I'm with this. But a lot of people would just go, no, I can't understand it. But more to the point, it was like, I don't want to understand it. And um, I thought it was just a play because the play was quite, you know, fast paced and there was a lot of language in it but it did a play here called Aristocrats <laughs> and that's set in Donegal and it's basically there it was a lot of English and Irish actors doing kind of Anglo-Irish accents but still English people will come to the theatre and say I can't understand them and I can't you know and I can't express how clearly we would have been speaking and how posh the accents we would have been putting on so a lot of the times what Aoife said it's just ignore I, you know people's prejudice of I don't want to hear this accent so I'm just not going to listen to it you know and Aoife, when they, you know, you came to pro- public prominence over with Golfgate, you know, we'd seen mm-hmm. you've been working well before that with the, with the PA and you've been mm-hmm. at the AP and you've been doing all the other stuff that, that we knew you were coming to attention. And then, but then it became this kind of automatically they put a label on you. Yeah. And that label was pretty fucking toxic. Yeah, I'm a big shinner. 
Um, <laughs> listen, the accent is one thing. Um, I talked a lot about this today. I had to make a speech at the Irish Institute of European Affairs, which is... Um, I'm sure not many of them listen to the Tardis. Oh, we know. Oh, but, no. um, it's, 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 it's a right-wing think tank, but go um, ahead. So, yeah, what I would say is when I came to Dublin, I was so naive because I thought well, I'm the first person in my family to go to university. I don't come from a political family whatsoever. I don't come, I don't have any family background in any political party. They're not going to give me any shit at all. <laughs> and... I could not believe, I know for a fact when I got the first Shinner tweet um, was because it was on my birthday. <laughs> and when I went to the Garda station, um, they had all the tweets printed out and the first one was on my birthday. Um, but it was immediately, and it was because I was from Derry City. I'd been very open about the fact that my uncle had been murdered. They often say killed. He wasn't killed. He was murdered on Bloody Sunday. Mm. And my family were the founding family of the Justice Campaign. And that I was very proud, not just to be from Derry, but I was very proud to be from the North. Mm. And that automatically meant that I'm a Shinner. And it is the perfect encapsulation of the ignorance of certain sections of society in the Republic about their Northern neighbours. I don't know ye, I don't want to get to know ye. But if you speak Irish and you're called Aoife and the Brits killed somebody belonging to you, you must vote for Sinn Féin. And that believe in that about me is one thing because, you know, I have friends in the media, like Hugh O'Connell and Philip Ryan, get dogs abuse because they are apparently pro Finnegale. We all get it. But You was very tall and does, the, blue does rhyme with you. So probably own some blue shirts as well. But um, the sheer amount of the vitriol, which then bled in the my day-to-day life, the death threats, the rape threats, everything else. And it became that if, what they're saying is if you're a Shinner, I don't have to listen to you. I don't want to have to hear what you have to say. But it wasn't like, just a Shinner so, thing, Aoife, though. But I'm sorry, so much but of it was partition. It was, exactly. It so much it, of it, I would get comments and they would be telling on themselves within the comments. So it would be like, coming down here. Mm. coming down here and giving off about why don't you go up there it's not too good in the north but I was like well I haven't lived in the north since I was 18 like the coming down here and also and like the way I used to always I used to be nearly in tears out of frustration I used to say to people northern nationalists are nearly more Irish than people in the republic because you get to wake up every day and you're just Irish just because you just woke up we have to prove our identity every day. I have to turn around and say, well, I have an Irish passport and I speak Irish and I did Irish dancing and I play kamogi. There, you have to list off all the things that you have done that makes you Irish. And like, for me as a Northern nationalist, that's one thing. I can't even imagine what it's like as a person of colour who's been born in Ireland and then, then trying to prove your Irishness. But in the political class and the media class, it is a way to disregard what you have to say because you're a shinner and you don't matter. And a lot of things that I was talking about, anti-racism, sex work, drugs policy, homelessness. I, but she's a pure shinner. I went on The Tonight Show once and I repeated uh, findings from a Bernardo's review yeah. about child poverty. And someone said, well, she would say that because she's a shinner. And I was like, okay, I feel like you're getting close to the point. <laughs> In that, <laughs> if you think the Shinners are now the 
the voice for the disenfranchised. Now you have a problem. Maybe we have a problem. Yeah. Uh, but 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 Emmett, you, it strikes me that you um you had your dealings because obviously uh, you know we spoke with RT earlier. That clip every bloody time you post, man, it goes viral again. You know the 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 Ryan Tuberty appearance when you went on the late late. And yet, yeah. it was that idea that where when you when you put it in that phrase, it wasn't people in in suits that uh, wasn't people in track suits that ruined the country. It was people in suits. You really murdered that. He said it far better. <laughs> he says everything far better. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but my point being. You actually found yourself in a position where you decided, you know what, social media is not for me anymore in terms of engaging with that because it became, uh, the response below was all of a sudden you were some sort of sinister um, voice because you've done, you've spoken a little bit of truth to power, just a little bit, not even, not even anything revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, you know, very basic kind of class consciousness kind of analysis like that, most people would yet when they go to college or even conversations that they have, I think that kind of shows the state of kind of conversation on Irish television, you know, that talking about things like that are seen as radical or, you know, transgressive in some kind of way. And I, you know, to be honest, like I'm not in the same career as Aoife. So when I was on social media or Twitter, you know, it was to have conversations and, you know, about, politics if I wanted about work about art or something like that but literally just as COVID kind of happened I, the swarm just like bots just finagalers like blue shorts like lunatics like you know start getting messages from people and I'm just like see this you know so uh, you know I don't I don't I don't need it I don't have to have it you know the kind of way because the thing is what I was doing I suppose the the naivety my, my part is that I've worked in theatre for 20 years and I'm a theatre maker and I make plays and shows all the time that are intensely political. And I come from an art form that is intensely political and discusses politics in a very, you know, well, obviously performative and um, analytical way and asks questions on stage, tries to come up with answers on stage. So that was my work. That was what I was known for. That's what I am known for in politics and in theatre and even as a writer. So... I think knowing theatre, that was an incredibly small, niche world. So when you go on television and just keep on talking the way you usually do in the theatre, but now it's to a national audience, people are like, "What's who's, who's this guy? Why is he talking like this? Whereas for me, it was just a continuation of all the other things that I talk about on stage. And as you know, from seeing accents. So I think it's, it's kind of strange. People compartmentalise who you are and what you do. You know, so, I don't know. They just, they just, they don't know you're a playwright or a theatre maker. They just try to think, who's this guy? Why is he talking about politics? So um, Twitter, I know, I think you all know, has become kind of quite a toxic place. So yeah, just, it, no, it's, it's, it's the best place in the world, obviously. It's, just yeah, a, yeah. it's a fucking it's actually, sewer. But, I read it. I read a, like I read a book I, called... I, and I'm conscious that me and you have had a much less negative experience than Aoife, who's sitting here. And oh, Aoife's, like, like, absolutely. I can't actually, like, when I say, my, that's what I mean, I could afford to move away from Twitter. You know, the, the first time I start getting kind of like static, whereas what Aoife, and I know because I read about it in relation to, <clears throat> you know, the other people that got out that they were basically trolling you and stuff. And I, sorry, I don't want to talk about it because I don't have to steal something legal going on with it. But, you know, that was horrendous. I can't imagine what that was like for you to have to put up with that. And it was gendered and it was like men going after you. Like, it's, 
Yeah. It's just, it, you know, and like, like fucking put it, in Ireland is that though, it's like screaming, screaming angry, angry men, middle-aged men, usually, you know, and like, it's like going, yeah. your accent and you're a woman and fucking, you know, yeah. Yeah, but like, let them keep screaming because we're not oh, going yeah. anywhere. And yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. the thing, like, okay, this person got caught, but there was plenty more of him. And yeah. I think as well, it's what they're saying and what with their fake accounts and with their abuse is they are so scared. They are so scared of young people and working class people getting out of their box and deciding that we have a voice and we want to say something. And yeah. I think what happened to me, I nearly became what I did notice actually, and this is something I've thought about a lot through making my own podcast. But people say to me, oh, here she go. Like, they'll say about me, like, here she goes. She's always playing the victim. 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 The grievance industry. Victim, right? So people say to me all the time, uh, or about me, sorry, she's, oh, here she goes there. Now she's a victim. She's always a victim. And I went, right, okay. I mean, I don't know anyone else who could lift their phone every single day for two years with people threatening to kill them, rape them, come to their house. You know, slagging off their family, slagging off my ma, like anything and anything, the worst possible things you could think of. I, and then, I, and I, I, I'm sorry to be so flippant about it. To get within six feet of your mum, she killed them. <laughs> she fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I can I just a little like, levity for a moment. Um, I was supposed to go to um, the Guild Hall in Derry to see Jeremy Corbyn speaking. I said, we'll meet for a drink beforehand. We did. I said, uh, your mum came along. We had a drink. Um, I think. Martin is here. Martin, what we were, we, we missed Jeremy Corbyn entirely. Right? <laughs> Dave Gibney, famous trade unionist, fell asleep in the pub. Um, I was standing in Domino's going, I need food. <laughs> Your mother we woke, left us in the halfpenny place. We woke up the next morning, the morning of the 50th anniversary of the Bloody That's Sunday right. March. I went down to my man's room and was all, are you getting up? And she was all, why are you up so early? I was all, we have to go to the march, mind your brother died. <laughs> Oh fuck! <laughs> I, I, I was standing beside the road, and um, if you ever seen um, uh, Unquiet Graves, the documentary maker Sean Murray was standing there, and he looks at me and he said, uh, "He said, how are you?" I said, "I'm oh, good." Sean. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, "He goes, what happened?" I said, yeah, "More than <laughs> But yeah, so back to the point of yeah, um, up Lorraine, yeah. But um, yeah, so. The constant negative abuse, and people will say, "Oh, she's a victim." Here she goes playing the victim all the time. And I was like, "Right, okay, then I am a victim." You know, you're not going to make me feel bad about talking about what happened to me. Mm. And then this notion that somehow I shouldn't talk about it. And then for a while, I did go through this real issue with it that I was like, "I'm not going on to talk about this anymore," and I'm not going on TV to talk about it anymore because I am a fucking brilliant journalist and I am not going to be the girl who got trolled. Like I don't be clapping that. Don't be clapping that. Do clap that. And I, clap I nearly that. became. Yeah. I nearly became I nearly became the poster girl for trolling and I thought, no, nah, this is just gonna take away from everything else that I do. So I made the podcast yeah. and that was the last word I was gonna say on it. And the reason I made the podcast and the reason I talk about it so often is like I should not have to put up with this and see for the next dairy girl or anybody else who comes down who this happens to and it will happen again because there are so many very sad old men who are very angry that things are changing so it will happen again 
I want people to know how bad it is for female journalists and female politicians to just be in the world. And so that when the next ones comes along, I'm not doing it to put people off. I'm doing it to be like, this is what it's like. But there are so many people who are going to stand behind you. Do, do you know the Venn diagram of the people who despise you is very, is, is, contains almost all of the golf dads, Leinster dads and all that absolutely hated Emmett when Someone he was Someone once termed them mouth breathing frigids. <laughs> That person was me. <laughs> <laughs> Emmett, can I ask one one thing though? Before um, we just just I love the the way um, one of this um, this is really bad because I I'm gonna give away the fact that I think he's one of the best playwrights and and I writers. thought you were gonna say he's one of the best yeah. looking men in Ireland. And I was like totally agree. Oh no. <laughs> 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 I, 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 we'll have to cut this out for fo- Ali's benefit. Remember, folks, we'll sexual cut- harassment against men doesn't exist. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but Emmett, when you you wrote one of your your pieces about um, uh, Temple Bar, and it was five years ago, yeah. and you wrote, and one of the lines you repeat in it is "Dublin, you're not dead yet." And but, yeah. and in that, we've seen, unfortunately. Things have gotten worse, and Aoife, you down here, you've seen how hard it is to, you know, the housing situation. Both of you, Aoife, you, you, you know, I remember when you were, you know, we were friends outside of this. We know the situation. Sadly. Sadly. Um, and we know what the situation, you know, your own housing struggles. Emmett, you've written about it and you've spoken about it. Yeah. The housing crisis is, um, comes out in that, and, but the line, Dublin, you're not dead yet. I happen to believe that's true. Am I wrong? Yeah, like, I mean, cities, cities will always kind of come back, but it keeps getting a kicking. And the reason for that is because the nature of the fact that communities can't actually, communities are always transient. Like, you can't buy in the city. Look, how do I explain this? My personal experience, my lived experience, there were seven apartments in where we were living. And we all knew each other. And we were living kind of close to Temple Bar. It was a great community of people. Nobody wanted to move out. But nobody owned those apartments. They were all renting them. They were all actually originally garrets for artists in the redevelopment of uh, Temple Bar. But somehow they all wound up in the hands of publicans. Go figure that one. Um, Finn of all what, publicans. Yeah, well, that was when it was built. But, like, who knows? Um and then slowly, surely what ha- started to happen was my neighbor started to get replaced by tourists, by Airbnb and another company called the Key Collection. And our lives of the tenants that were left there were just turned upside down. And we went to the council and we said, this is a problem. The council went, no, it's not. Or they just went, we don't know what you're talking about. We had to put up with like stag parties coming in. My neighbors were sexually harassed. My partner, you know, had to kind of like dodge stag parties that were on a hall. Nobody should have to put up with that in the building that they live in. But so kind of dismissive was the local government. And then our local TDs, that Airbnb was a great big thing and should be welcomed. And what happens is corporations are essentially facilitated to do whatever they want. And when citizens say, the community that we have here is being destroyed, is being torn apart, and we're actually in danger physically by these lunatics that are coming in every weekend. And then it was like every Wednesday, every Thursday. But we just weren't listened to at all. And then we figure out that actually Airbnb had spent millions in euros, 
hiring former Fine Gael party activists to lobby the government on behalf of Airbnb to say, don't do anything to Airbnb. So when you're faced against that, people say, what's the injustice? Here we are, citizens, and there was thousands of people trying to, you know, bring this to the attention. And what Aoife was talking about there, you're bullied online for bringing it up. It's not a problem. It's not a real problem. Actually, I think you'll find. So anytime that anybody's trying to make something better, if that's something that they're trying to do to make that, to make things better, attacks the bottom line of landlords, attacks the possibility that these politicians would have to go to bat against the corporation that they maybe want to work for in the future as lobbyists. That's not going to work out as long as these particular political parties are in power. So the city will keep on being chipped away at, like other cities all over Europe. Vienna, for example, not Vienna, sorry. Um, Vienna's the good Venice. one. Vienna's the good one. Venice has been torn apart by Airbnb. The Gothic Quarter in uh, Barcelona, there's no tenants left. Mm-hmm. 70% of it now is tourists. And our politicians don't see how people need to live in cities in order for them. The t- cities need artists. They need people to live there because if they replace all of those citizens with Airbnbs and hotels and office blocks, when the tourists come, there won't be anything left for them to see. There won't be any soul in the sea. And we're seeing now the bend like the 10, 12, 15 years of a Fine Gael government and Fianna Fáil and Labour, what they've allowed happen to it. They could have put the brakes on multiple things that are happening in the city. I just used Airbnb as an example, but they didn't because ultimately they always kind of go, well, it's the market. What are you going to do? They can do lots of things, but it would mean going against their own political ideology, which would mean not like they, they say they've interfered in the markets with rent controls. They need to intercede and do things like ban Airbnbs completely. They just ban them outright. Do what New York has just done. New York says you can't rent out a whole apartment to Airbnb unless you live in the property. But if you said something like that to a person in Ireland, a politician, they would think you were a communist. They would call you a <laughs> radical. They would call you a lunatic, a fringe lunatic. It's not that hard to actually, you know, think you could do. But, you know, it's uh, and then as well, you get a lot of people online who aren't even landlords. They get upset for the money that landlords might lose. They're getting upset for the it's landlords. The same lads, you know? it's, it's the same lads who stand up for Elon Musk. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's like they're, they're upset about a billionaire's billions. Don't tax them anymore because they think they themselves have been sold this lie that they can become Elon Musk. Well, er, like, er, you know. Earlier today, the Limerick Post had on its front page, uh, Airbnb brings 18 million to, to Limerick City. Part of a research paid for by Airbnb. Airbnb. But it made the front page. Yeah. It's, yeah. So we're all supposed to sit there and just sort of take this shit. But it's like, you know, an Airbnb of now, they've got a la- an ex-Labour guy working as their lobbyist and they hired Owen Murphy's, Owen Murphy's head of elections. They hired, uh, to, to lobby the government in, cause they tried to put manners on it. And then the legislation just kind of, it got watered down. And then Owen Murphy just went, I just give it off to Shane Ross. Just pass the parcel. Nobody actually wants to do anything that is radical because we're led by, I know liberally, they are, they are liberal politicians in, in terms of social, uh, attitudes. But in terms of policy making and policy decisions, they're incredibly conservative people that won't do what needs to be done. And they won't go up against corporations. Again, if I'm going to fluff one of his lines, but they'll give you as much liberalism as you want, but they will give you fucking nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. The line, is, the line is, they'll give you all the liberalism you want. Let me have challenge. it. I can't do anything. No, 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 no. Just, uh, just, just to be straight, because the line is actually in relation to this. I'm only remembering it now because I did it the other night at a poetry gig. They'll give you all the liberalism you want. But if you challenge property rights, they'll use them. They'll like use bats to beat you like a snare drum. 
And that's what happens. We see housing activists taking over buildings and all of a sudden it's a set target that they can go after and they'll go in there mob-handed. But, you know, there's far-right lunatics outside the doll with nooses and they're like, easy does it. You know what I mean? So, uh, like, it's a 19th century attitude towards policing, which was effectively protect property from the mob. And they see left-wingers as the mob. They don't see any, you know, and property rights has been basically, you know, sacred or something. If, if I could, you saw the scenes, you saw them outside the doll, you yeah. saw the, the far-right stuff. Yeah. You know I, that it's not a big leap from some of the hate that you've seen for years building up. Mm-hmm. Were you, um, how did you feel about the idea that now all of a sudden they wanted to do something about it? I felt that there was a few people in Leinster House who realised that day that you can't put the toothpaste back into the tube. Absolutely. I Absolutely. think there was a few people there who had voted for the leopard eating faces party and didn't realise that the leopards were going to eat their face too. <laughs> I was disappointed but not surprised, not least by the thing that actually happened, but the Garda response to it. Um, listen, I've been harassed outside Leinster House by the same freaks that were there um, the other day, and it's terrifying. What happened to Michael Healy Ray's intern, a 20-year-old woman from America, was assaulted and had her phone stolen on her way out of work on her first day. We consider ourselves the outlier in Europe because we have been able to fight the rise of the far right. But it's not true, sure it's not. We just elect them as it's a other warm people. House. It's a warm house. So, and it's not helped by people like Leo Varadkar saying that Benefit Street oh, yeah. is, a good, is a good representation of people who are on social welfare. Listen, I... Have and me and myself and Paul Hosford were one of the few journalists along with Connor Gallagher who were calling this out at the very start and telling people that the far right are an issue in Ireland, especially after COVID, and they were going to continue to become an issue. We did very well after the last uh, recession, and I actually believe, would you believe it, it was Mick Clifford from the Irish Examiner that no said way. that said that Sinn Fein deserved the credit because they were able to go into the inner city communities who would have maybe originally blamed refugees and convince them that it wasn't refugees and it wasn't immigrants. It was the elites and it was Fianna Fáil and it was Fianna Gael and it was Labour that created this problem. That's not Washington anymore. But you They're know, going after Sinn Fein uh, now. As we, well, we recorded, and this is a, so. This is something we haven't spoken about before. Myself and Martin, we recorded recently with a researcher who has a, a very brave fellow who's done stuff globally in terms of um, fighting against, like fighting against movements and, and mm. terrorist movements. And we were we were recording the other day, and one of the things he did is he he monitored forty eight Telegram channels, and he was able to show. That what has happened over the last number of years, as Eve has actually kind of outlined, was that the nationalism in Ireland was different because the left within Sinn Féin kept the lid on the yeah. horrible sides of what shag flaggers become. It's the same but, as the SNP in Scotland. But we we we, we can't put the we can't no. put the podcast out because this person's image started circulating on Telegram oh, okay. amongst far right channels, and we had to stop. Martin is this is gospel truth. We said no, there's no point. We're, we're literally on recording with you right now, and you're getting notifications about threats that they know where you live, mm-hmm. they know where your parents live, they know where your grandmother is. And we went, 
we'll stop this right now and it'll never go out. It'll never see the light of day. But we were told constantly, as you've said, from other people, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It was written in national newspapers across Ireland that we had nothing to worry about with the far right. It's a couple of lunatics. We don't need to worry about them. And I would say that's very easy to say when there's nobody standing outside your house, when there's nobody banging the windows of the, of the emergency hostel that you live in. I feel like we're at a tipping point. I feel like it is very disappointing that people went to Leinster House and harassed TDs. But now maybe TDs might be frightened like the refugees who live on holiday ends are frightened too. It's horrific. It shouldn't be happening. But I do think we are at a tipping point now and we need to have a discussion about where this country is headed. They're going to form some sort of political party and they are going to run in elections and they are going to have backing because when you go in to the communities that have been completely neglected for decades and decades and decades, misinformation is now the name of the game. And they have, we've seen it happen in every neighborhood in Dublin. We have seen it happen from Drumna to East Wall. This is what's happening. We have 30 pedos living in this building. We have this person and this person. All of it's bullshit, but the truth's not cutting it anymore. And the TDs are not brave enough, I don't think, to call it out when they see it and call stuff racist when it's racist. And I would like to see a bit more bravery from all the TDs left and right about this. But I don't know how we're going to tackle this issue of people in the mainstream mainstream media and <laughs> and in Leicester House want to pretend that this isn't an issue anymore because it might be an, it might not be an issue in Donnybrook and it might not be an issue in Fox Rock, but it's an issue when, in all our neighborhoods. Um one back lifting the curtain again for a moment when when um, Spice Bag was doing the posters with crack zones. Yeah. He sent me the mock-up of it, and he said, I'm, I'm putting these together, and Emmett, this might interest you in a way, because it was quite funny. Yeah. He said, what do you think of these? And I said, um, and I'll be honest with you, so he had, uh, he had the Garda logo on the bottom, and I said, take the Garda logo off, off it. I said, put on from the Government of Ireland on it. And he did, yeah. right? And then we agreed that we wouldn't put them in working-class areas. We'd put yeah. them in leafy Dublin 4 areas. And then all of a sudden, the shit hit the fan. Because that's what, and it was like, you know, um, I had such the reaction was so funny, yeah, so funny. Do a load of posters, yeah. But but but, and what was really interesting was, um, politician after politician WhatsApp me and said to me, you know, um, Tony loves talking about all the famous people he knows. We've got yeah. Spice Bag. But- Bad politicians. politicians. After politician. It's true. It's true. I'm I'm interviewing Naomi Klein on Saturday. There, get that. Put that in. Yeah. Nice. Um, but no. But it, but it was just. It was one of that those moments where I started laughing. Going because they said, "Why did you do this?" And I went, "I went because it's gotten because you're pissed off mm. because you're pissed off." And 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 back to Emma for a moment. But just. So, Art is supposed to provoke. It's supposed to piss people off. It's supposed to make them uncomfortable sometimes. Um, yeah. what, do, what do you think of that? Yeah, like, well, you know, it is like so much of art has always been political. Um, Sean Keating, the Gorilla Girls, Maya Angelou, you know, Vaclav Havel, Salvador Dali. And a lot of people that basically believe that art shouldn't be political, but they don't know about art. They think that art is simply about aesthetics and it's something that. And art usually glorifies things that they don't like. It might glorify working class life. It might glorify, um, the immigrant experience. It might glorify, you know, things that they, they, they have a vehement hatred for because when they see art, they see art as reflecting their mores, their social values or their values in general. So when they see art that comes from people that are not like them, 
they have a visceral reaction to it. But that's what art is about. And then there's an often thing of, you know, art shouldn't be political. There's a right way to protest, but then nobody can actually say what the right type of protest, what the right way to protest is. You know, they just want to separate things. But um, artists are contrarians, but they, you know, they're all contradicting each other and saying different things. And Irish art is a multitude of different things. It's everything from murals up in Belfast to, you know, uh, horse outside with a rubber band. It's, you know what I mean? Like it's, it can be multiple different things. And that's what happens when people, they have reactions to it, but it should always be provoke. It should always be provoking because there's, there will be political art and then there will be art that doesn't. But, um, it's funny. Look, it's like Maser, you know, when he did the, uh, the heart on the project and, um, for repeal and Dublin City Council forced them to paint over it. But the response to that was people were, you know, art shouldn't be political. But, uh, it was, you know, obviously people that didn't agree with the message, they were there, you know, they didn't like that art. They felt art was being weaponized, but art's always being used as a weapon, you know? One, two. Yeah. Sorry, was I? No, no. Aoife, just last word to you on this, and, and then we'll maybe see if, if you can hang on for five minutes if there's only a couple of questions. But just, just last word on this. You, again, went through the rigmarole and you knew it was coming. You put a book out. And automatically someone said, oh, got a name wrong, Aoife. Yeah, I got a name the, wrong. The, the, to be the, fair, I didn't get a name wrong. I killed someone off who is very much alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is true. They are alive. My bad, Patty. Really it, sorry about that. I hope you're I do, well. But, but I do think... I wish you all the good health. That's fast. That's I, hilarious. I did, sorry, did, that's I, brilliant. So how many books <laughs> How many books did you print with this person? Thousands. Thousands. And I'd be like, Ooh, sorry about that, Patty. <laughs> oh, shit. In my defence, in my defence, Gav, Gav Riley texted me and he was like, Gav wrote a book about Enda Kenny. Yeah. And he was like, there's about 13 people in my book. And he says, there's about 213 in your book. And he was like, if you've killed off one person, <laughs> that's fine. In, in, in fairness, like it was... It Although was, someone did describe it as me, as um, I might be the only person in the world that if I put out a book, I have 200 wankers correcting my homework. <laughs> I, that, <laughs> So if you want, if you if you have a golf dad, a Leinster Leinster rugby dad in your life, get them the book they must burn this Christmas. No, but we've now made this like insane Venn diagram where it's like Leinster rugby dads and then diehard shinners, and they're all in this one Venn diagram of people who really don't like Efa anymore. <laughs> listen, listen, folks, what a club! Um, can we can we can we give the two guys around? And 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 again, Emma, thank you so much for for. I know it was awkward, but. Thank you so much oh, for, 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 for doing this this evening, and it's great to see you. And Aoife Moore, um, thank you thank for you. for being absolutely just yourself. Thanks, Always <laughs> just yourself. Uh, not a round of applause for the guys, please. Has, has anybody got a couple of questions? We have a couple of minutes. If anybody wants to stick a hand up, I have a roving mic. What? It doesn't... No. Just so you know, my laptop's going to die oh. in about... Yeah, once, so yeah, yeah. whatever it is, 2% battery, go for it. Um, on Monday night, on um, up front with Katie Hannon, we had to, we were endured by watching, I think it was a former Garda Commissioner, yeah. um, Kira Kelly, uh, Mick Clifford. Paul Murphy. Uh, and Paul Murphy. And the three people opposite Paul were talking about the far right are the same as the far left. What are the far left? 
if if I was is to say, far, is the far left not Paul Murphy? I would have thought <laughs> so. And, can I, and, can and I, I think Paul's a centrist. <laughs> no, no, no. Just to say, like Ireland doesn't have what they're talking about, like a far left. Far left is a load of gorillas in a forest trying yeah. to take over a dictatorship or a, a crooked a democracy and then overtake it and then enforce some sort of like you know heavy form of communism under a dictatorship. We have left-wing politicians who are countenancing things like very limited Rooseveltian-style New Deal-era socialism, democratic socialism. They want to increase social housing and universal health care. That's just in line with the rest of liberal democracies throughout Europe. So the far-left thing is a nonsense, and it just basically serves to shut them up and call them radicals and lunatics and then posit themselves as these kind of pragmatic, sensible people. And these people over here are crazy, so you don't need to go near them. Like if nothing major is going to happen, like we're not going to see some sort of huge, like drive the economy off a cliff, Sinn Féin or people before profit get into power, but they're terrified of them. So they're creating this nonsensical idea that the far left are even far left. The the left wing parties in our country are far left. And the idea that horseshoe theory, horseshoe theory is a nonsense. It's widely debunked in any, all the social sciences. And every time they talk about it, it's just cringe inducing. Well, I'm not going to be better than him, but no. yeah, my point, my point very much is if in Ireland, now this doesn't work for any other country, but in Ireland, when the far left has a protest outside Leinster House, no one I have known anyway is worried about being assaulted. But last Absolutely. week, staff were assaulted, TDs were assaulted, and we had to have Gardaí escorting us in and out to do our job. There is no comparison to the left wing and the far right Absolutely. in Ireland. These are like these are tra- like the, like those kids, trans kids, and arts students with placards saying, "You need to recognise me. I am a person and I exist, and I don't need to debate my existence with you." And then on the far right, they're basically with nooses telling them they're going to burn them. You know, they're, they're going to kill them, or they're threatening they're to kill Paul, Murphy, and, Paul Murphy's girlfriend. Yeah. And then we have these, yes, exactly. And then we have these galaxy brain takes from journalists telling us that these both these people are both the same. You know, it's. Right. It's infuriating. Like it's it's. it's I, re- I remember one you know. thing. Um, then if you remember the rally for the rally for peace when we we had it outside the doll, I actually emceed it, and it was hilarious. Has he because ever done like? No, there, there was a, there was there was a, there was a ridiculous moment where a fella threw a can of coke at me, and it and it just went. And it's, it's, it's the far left. And the guards, the guards stood there, and the guards went. The guards were like going, "No, hang on, everybody, calm down." I went, "There's only one side, fucking, you know, throwing cans at people." And Joe Duffy the next day said, the far left and the far right were both present at this thing. And I, because Martin thinks Joe was great, I text Joe and said, give him the benefit of the doubt. And I said, Joe, I, I'm not, I was there. I also think if you're talking about the far left protests and Panty Bliss is there, that it's probably not the far left. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's I a fabulous protest. Bliss. I haven't seen... <laughs> I often see panty blessed things that are often described as far left, and I'm like, that's way too glam for like far yeah. left. We have one more question. Hang on. Oh yeah, um, I think this is just more directed to the um, more the RT guys and Martin as well. He was mentioning about a kind of potential bailout of about eighty to one hundred million um, from the government to RTE. Um, my concern would be is that. If the government do hand over that kind of money to RTE as a bailout, do they get 
as a kind of a sweetener deal to kind of like dictate the editorial content in terms of where, where we're going to be coming up to an election in 12 to 18 months that they say, right, we're going to be giving you this money, but we're looking at favourable content from, you know, from RTE, you know, to make us look good. So is there a danger that we... You know that the taxpayer is going to end up paying a kind of like a kind of like a party political broadcast for the government over the next couple of years. Brilliant question, brilliant question. Yes, but you're wrong. It's happening right now. One point two two million has been already settled with revenue in respect of bogus self-employment. That was paid from license fee payers' money. License fee payers' money. So they're threatened with jail to pay off RTE's bogus self-employment, which is also social welfare fraud. Up until the TV licenses started to drop off, one-third of TV licenses are paid by the Department of Social Welfare, always. That figure is now greater. Plus, individual shows are getting individual sponsorship from government. At the moment, RTE's entire makeup is almost state funding. It's almost there. But it's not a structured state funding. It is a favoured state funding. They're already controlling RTE. And people need to get that into their heads. As long as they allow to do it in this ad hoc way, they are influenced. RTE owes 80 million to the state. It's social welfare fraud. They should be prosecuted by the Department of Social Welfare and Revenue. It's not happening because that's the influence. That is influence. Just, it's already were, under control. If anybody was here the last, and I know there's a gentleman up there who was here the last day when Shane Corr spoke and, and Shane sp- said when he broke the revelations about what was happening to um, families with children with autism and um, and around the nursing home saying, Robert Watt rang D Forbes and said you know, kill this story or we pull advertising revenue. He said it on this stage. Not one person like we get legal letters all the time no one contradicted us. No one came back and said it didn't happen. So, you know, it's happening already. We just, it's not happening in the way that maybe you're inferring. But I do think, again, I think maybe RT needs to be funded, whether it's called RT or whatever it is. But I do think the national broadcaster is necessary. And I'd love to see it funded from central taxation and removed from political interference. But, uh, you know, that's, yeah, Martin is right. Um, Look, Emmett's Emmett's laptop died. So, um, it, like, literally, you could all see he was hardly, it looked like he was sitting literally on, at, at the departure lounge there, folks. So, in fairness to him, it's great credit. So, so thank you to Emmett. Thank you to Aoife. I really appreciate it. And, listen, folks, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.